This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. All right, podcast listeners. Today, you are listening to a webinar that I just conducted for my business, my gym in Downers Grove. The webinar topic was stress and the human body. And during this episode, you're going to hear me talk to a group of live listeners about one defining stress. What exactly is stress? Because stress is a good thing. It is a positive thing. It's something the body needs. It's a defense mechanism. But of course, it has this negative connotation. And for good reason, most of us experience chronic stress. So during this webinar, we are going to define stress. We're going to talk about the positive and the negative coping mechanisms that people usually use. What are you using? How much does stress actually affect you? How big is your stress bucket? An analogy that we will be using throughout this episode. I'm excited to post this for everybody. Just that you'll hear some questions live from someone uh, as that comes in. But if you have any questions yourself after hearing this episode, please reach out to me. You can reach me through my social media pages, lifestyle underscore podcast. You can reach me through the Facebook page or you can email me at mike at mar, M-A-R, healthandperformance.com. Big topic, fun topic. Please feel free to reach out and enjoy. All right. So today we are talking about stress and the human body. This is being recorded as a, a live webinar. So anyone, please feel free to jump in, ask questions, type them in. For those listening to the recording, as always, message me, info at Mar Health and Performance, direct message me through the site, whatever questions you have. So the agenda for today, we are gonna start by defining stress. What exactly is stress? What is stress as it pertains to the human body? What is emotional versus physical stress? And then we're going to get into how the body handles stress, both in terms of natural, natural human responses, and in terms of chosen coping mechanisms, both positive and negative. And then we're going to go into uh, kind of wrapping it all together into how lifestyle really plays a big role into how we handle both controllable and uncontrollable stress. So to kick it off, what is stress exactly? Stress is a reactive response by the body. And there are a number of different forms. Stress can be psychological or social, so emotional stress, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, you know, things that we, we didn't plan for and we didn't cause necessarily, but they definitely cause us a physical stress response. Stress can be environmental. If you live next to a loud train, if you live in an area with poor air quality, all of this will have a physical effect on the body that will come out as a physical stress. Illness or injury. If I, if I break a bone, if I tear a muscle, if I stub my toe, the body has the same physical response on a lesser extent as if I have the loss of a loved one. So stress is stress. 
the way the body handles stress, the hormonal release that we're going to talk about, it is generally the same no matter what type of stress the body is experiencing. Because as you see in the third bullet point here, stress can also be planned as in exercise, which we will get into in more detail later on. The big question of the day, is stress good or bad? And the short answer and the very real answer is that stress is good. Stress, I'm going to put into the category, like a lot of other things, you know, we become extremists when it comes to labeling anything. But when you think of sodium, when you think of fat, when you think of carbs, many people hear these terms and immediately have a negative connotation with these terms. But the truth is, all of these things are necessary to keep us alive. We cannot live without sodium. We cannot live without carbohydrates. We cannot live without fat. The problem, just like we will get into in a second with stress, is that when we have too much of it, the body no longer knows how to deal with it and it starts becoming a chronic issue. In fact, there is, there is nothing, including water, there is nothing that we couldn't have too much of. We could have too much oxygen. We could have too much water. We can have too much healthy food. You could have too much broccoli. There's a lot of things that you could have too much of, or that you can't have too much of. So stress goes into that category. Stress is a good thing. It is there to keep us alive. It is there to wake us up in the morning. It is there to make sure that we learn. Any stimulus response by the body is a stress. When you learn a new fact, the reason that that fact stays in your brain is because our nervous system has a response that wakes up the brain and actually causes memory to stick, which is why you'll see that some people that have chronic high stress also typically see decreases in memory, both short-term and long-term. To wake us up in the morning, the body has a stress response. It releases a hormone immediately, and that's what gets our body to become alert and to start coming out of its REM sleep, which you are hopefully in. So again, stress is a physical response. Specific hormones are released in response to any of the stresses we labeled in that first slide, whether physical, emotional, environmental, or other. Adrenaline and cortisol, namely, are hormones that are released, and these hormones give our body an immediate physical response. It increases our heart rate. It increases our blood pressure. They increase our respiration. The body needs oxygen to work well. Oxygen is our main energy source. Oxygen's role in the body is to be converted into a fuel. So if we are in a state where the body must respond physically, if the body stubs his toe, again, for the, you know, kind of the, the silliest example I can think of, it responds just like we think we need to run away. Like we are in war and we got hurt and we need to figure out how to get out of that area. So it gets oxygen into our system faster through everything we just labeled. Increased heart rate, blood pressure, respiration, feeling of alertness. I'm sorry, those last three. Now those in response give us this increased feeling of alertness and muscular tightness. So it literally readies us for movement and it readies us for reaction. The problem is that at some point, stress becomes too much. Again, just like overeating high sodium, overeating carbohydrate. Stress is meant to be a temporary response. It is a defense mechanism. So I'm meant to use it and then stop using it right away. Picture a safety net. If I fell off of a large building, I would be very grateful that I had a safety net to fall into. However, after I fall into that safety net, I want to get out of the safety net. If I have to live in that safety net for the rest of my life, I'm probably not going to be very happy. So same thing. When we have a stress response, great 
grateful for it, glad we have it, but then we need to get out of that stressful situation so the body can recover. If it recovers immediately, no big deal. If it does not, that's when we start running into chronic stress. So with that, I'm going to, to start this, this bucket analogy that we are going to use throughout the, the webinar here. Everybody, everybody, everybody starts with a different sized bucket. So how much stress you can handle is to a certain extent genetic. Some of us are born with a very large bucket. Some of us with what feels like a very small bucket. And you can probably think of some friends or family right now. Some of them where you think, it doesn't man, it doesn't matter what happens to that guy. He is always cool, calm, collect. He's never stressed. He's always calm. Or the opposite, where you feel like, man, that that person flies off the handle, is immediately high stress at every little thing that that happens to him. Now, in those examples, those things might not be, those reactions might not be the fault of that person. If they are, if they are born with a small bucket, if, if they are born with a big bucket, that that's what they got and that's what they have to use. Now, there's also a controllable factor to that. While we have big and small buckets, these people might also be under uncontrollable stress, which means they might be filling that bucket faster than the average person is. And when this happens, the physical effects that we named in those earlier slides stay. So the increased heart rate, the increased blood pressure, everything that made us get through that moment safely when we first experience stress stays and becomes chronic. So we, we keep a high heart rate. Our blood pressure never goes back down. And the protective elements, the elements that were good for us in that moment, dissipate. So we keep the bad and the good leaves us. And that leaves us with, with the following. It leaves us with a feeling of, of anxiety and depression, right? Can you imagine having a high blood pressure and high heart rate all the time? That, that gives you an, an antsy, very uncomfortable physical feeling. Weight gain. The hormones that are released in times of stress, especially cortisol, have an adverse relationship with lipid production, meaning the way that we utilize fat. We want to use fat as an energy source. But if the body is saying that we need energy fast, it is going to bypass fat, not use it, and start using other things, namely carbohydrates and hopefully oxygen. We also have some negative coping mechanisms, which we'll get into soon, but one of them being negative eating. So if we are high stressed and we are in a state where we are not utilizing fat and we are taking in too much and negative types of food, that's a combination for weight gain. High blood pressure leads to headaches. Digestive issues, 95% of serotonin, one of the happy hormones, 95% of those receptors are in our gastrointestinal tract. So when you think of, oh man, I get, I, my, my stomach feels queasy every time I'm high stress, that is a natural, normal physical response to those receptors. And then there's really long-term chronic diseases that come with, with chronic stress, heart disease, sleep disorders, dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera. Now, luckily, there, there's an app for that. There's a solution. The body has at least somewhat of a solution to everything. It's very efficient. Your body has a natural removal system, like a waste removal system. Same idea. As stress increases and as those hormones are released into the body, the body naturally immediately starts to buffer those hormones back out. So cortisol comes in. Let's get them out. Adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, these come in. Great. Use them get them out. The problem comes in when we are filling 
that bucket faster than we can release the hormones. So if you picture the bucket and it's got a very small hole, one hole in that bucket is your natural release system. That you can only lose so much water per second out of that hole. So if you are filling that bucket too fast, and let's say you have a small bucket, well, then your natural response system to stress is not going to be enough. So we have a couple ways to attack this. We can't change the size of the bucket, but we can't poke more holes. I mean, we can utilize more positive coping mechanisms that also aid the body in removal of these negative long-term stress hormones. Exercise, movement, any movement, walking the dog, getting up if you have a desk job, getting up every half an hour, good sleep, good nutrition, meditation, and therapy. So professional help, utilizing a therapist or a mental health professional. These are all examples of positive coping mechanisms. These are all examples of poking another hole in your bucket so that you are losing these stress responses, hopefully faster than you are gaining them. Hey, Mike, quick question. Yeah, please. Uh, in the beginning, you listed some of the examples of stress, and I tended to think of the emotional ones as opposed to maybe some of the others that you had there. So that was interesting. But you did list exercise, and then exercise could also be a coping mechanism. How is that balanced? How do those two stressors balance? That, that's a great question. And actually, that's going to be a slide here in a moment. Okay. All right. But, uh, but no, but that's a great question because exercise is a controlled stress. And what we'll talk about in a second in, in more detail is that it's, it's almost practice for stress. Because when, when it's in a controlled environment, we create the stress that the body immediately doesn't feel threatened by, and it gets really, really good at releasing that stress. That's an awesome question, because you're right, it seems counterproductive. How can exercise be a stressor, but also be positive for stress? Yeah, great, great question. I'm going to circle right back to that in a few seconds here. Keep the questions coming, everybody. Thank you. So exercise, activity, sleep, nutrition, all these can be examples of holes that you can poke in that bucket. However, there are also negative coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms that in the moment absolutely make us feel better. However, in the not so short term, also make us feel worse. So the examples listed here, drugs, both legal and illegal. So some medications, um, illegal street drugs, avoiding sleep, not moving, negative eating, overstimulation. A lot of these things, you know, uh, screens, noise, things like that. Some things we turn to because in the moment we... We, we feel like they're making us better. I want to avoid people. I just want to lay down and watch Netflix for, for 1,700 hours straight. I just want a negative eat because in the moment, food tastes good and that releases happy hormones really for the really short term. But then when the food starts digesting, the body goes, oh, wait, this is really bad for me. I'm going to now re-release even more negative hormones to start attacking what's happening to my system right now. Sleep avoidance heart rate is up, blood pressure is up. So purposeful or unpurposeful sleep avoidance, we can't sleep. So now we aren't getting another natural recovery mechanism because we're utilizing, again, things like staying up late, overworking maybe, you know, maybe you got a big, uh, a big work deadline that's stressing you out. So it's giving you an emotional stress. And then you really want to get that work project done because you have to, or because it's hopefully you think going to get rid of your stress. But in the meantime, you pulled an all-nighter to get that done. This happens to college students all the time. So now again, you have an example of something that in the short term maybe kind of made you feel better because you got the project done, but now it's going to take you a long time to recover from missing that bout of sleep. So some of these coping mechanisms, we have to make sure that we are removing the negative coping mechanisms along with adding in the good. 
because these negative coping mechanisms are going to be temporary band-aids that are just in the long term going to cover up the positive holes that you are trying to poke in your bucket. So before we get into like the exercise and the specifics, let's ask ourselves a question. Are we stressed? We often think that it's an obvious. People know if they're stressed or not. Not all the time. There's a lot of examples where, where people don't realize, oh man, stress is manifesting in my system in a way that I didn't realize. So are you low energy? Do you experience headaches? Do you experience insomnia? Do you have chronic muscle pain and tightness that you really can't explain? Are you sick often? So is your, is your immune system clearly compromised and not working properly? And do you have GI, uh, gastrointestinal issues? Now, while these are also symptoms, could be symptoms of other things, the combination of them very well could be a sign that you have negative stressors, negative chronic stressors on your system. The question now becomes, what are the main stressors? What are causing these lists of symptoms that are also going to wreak havoc in the ways that we listed earlier, that are also going to now lead towards that anxiety, that depression, further sickness, further illness, and possibly long-term, the worst, dementias and Alzheimer's and heart diseases, plaque buildups in your heart, things like that. Is it emotional stress? Is it uncontrollable? Or is it controllable things? Is our diet really causing us that much physical stress? Is our lack of movement causing us that much? Are, are our sleep patterns so bad? And then we start thinking about the combination, how one leads to another. So then we start looking at the, the pillars of health. So if I look at the four pillars of health, exercise, activity, nutrition, sleep, and then stress as its own pillar. Typically, when we lose one pillar, we start losing the rest. If we, are, if we are emotionally stressed as something we can't control, then we start going into, well, now I don't feel like, I don't feel like working out or I can't sleep. If I have a chronic sleep issue that I can't control, well, if I'm low energy because I'm not sleeping, how well am I going to be at going into exercise and activity? If I have an injury so I can't move, typically we end up bringing in some negative eating to go along with that. Most people don't say, well, if I can't move, I'm going to really make sure that I eat clean to avoid this, unfortunately, we usually go the opposite. Well, if I can't move anyway and I can't work out to work on my, my health and fitness goals, I'm going to get a little, a little more lenient on my, my eating. So when you think of stress, Brian, just like you said, which is perfectly said, I know we often think of emotional stress, and that is a very, very real stress. But there are many, many other things, lifestyle-based things, things that are under our control that might also be manifesting in the same way. Some other reasons we want to make sure we deal with this. There's a domino effect to stress. Namely, the two big examples I have here are your mood and your decision-making. So not only does our stress affect us from a physical standpoint, but the mood I am in when I go home to my kids and my wife, the decisions I make in trying to run my business, the decisions I make in programming for clients, all of those are going to be physically abruptly kind of affected by the physical state of my body when I'm trying to make these decisions. And, and I, can, I can speak directly, you know, now that I, you know, I, have, I have three kids and for the parents listening, you know how this is too. My personal lifestyle directly affects how good of a parent I am. I am noticeably, and unfortunately this goes with, you know, I've, I've not willingly, but I've tested out this system where I've gone without sleep and I, and I can see it. I can see how my patience level is with a three-year-old toddler who is trying to test limits with a 10-year-old who's trying to grow into herself and do more things, I can feel my patience level. My mood is different. My creativity, so my decision-making, how well I think of new programs at the gym and how creative I am with clients when I am sleeping well and I'm moving and I'm working on these systems, 
I am hands down a better personal trainer and coach to my athletes and business owner when I am positively dealing with stress. And then there's, there's long-term illness, which we've already talked about. There's a lot of motivators, or there should be a lot of motivators to why we should want to deal with stress and understand what stress is and the coping mechanisms early and before they become chronic issues or bigger issues with friends and family. So let's, let's start poking some holes. And we're going to start with exercise. And like we just alluded to, exercise is a planned stress. So while it is a physical stress response by the body, it does not come with that unexpected stress, which means that the body does take it a little differently than it does if, if someone jumps out from around the corner and scares me and I didn't know it was coming. Right, that is still a heightened level of stress that's a little different. When we exercise, the same stress hormones are released to a certain extent, but along with others. We have positive endorphins, so serotonin and dopamine are released. Exercise and movement throughout the day increases our sleep. We have improved pulmonary function. We have improved regulation of the, of the sympathetic nervous system. So the system that calms us down, because it is a planned stress and it gets practiced at stress, it responds to unexpected stress better. So if I come in and I work on a proper interval system, where I, where I want to raise my heart rate up to a certain level, but then I'm going to let my body practice bringing it back down. Many of us are afraid of rest periods. Many of us avoid it, right? Well, that's a sign that I'm not working hard. We might be missing the opportunity to let the body practice bringing that system back down. The opportunity to say that now, if I do this consistently and I make my body really efficient at recovering from higher levels of stress, when emotional stress that I'm not prepared for, that I have no control over, again, a loss of a loved one, God forbid, a loss of a job, things like that. When those things do happen, I will have the physical ability to stay more calm, to make better decisions, to react to those very unfortunate situations that are, of course, never going to be positive situations. But now I'm just in a better state to react to them a little better, to be there for my family in a better way, to decide a path out of this bad situation, to decide how I'm going to look for a new job in a better way. We are just in a better state to not go into negative coping mechanisms when we have practiced stress and we have practiced stress recovery. Not only do we get to practice them, but we get to practice them in this controlled environment to where even though we are releasing cortisol and adrenaline, we are releasing those endorphins we said before with them. So we have a combination of free-floating positive and negative Again, they're not negative because they're helpful when we need them, but long-term negative hormones in our system. So that natural process by the body to relieve stress is aided physically by hormones that it didn't have before it was exercising. Those hormones start becoming more densely free-floating in our system, not permanently, but permanently as long as you exercise. So as long as you consistently have exercise in your life, dopamine and serotonin stay more densely populated in your bloodstream all the time which means happy hormones are already there and existing when negative stress, illness, injury, or emotional are introduced into the system. Again, we are in a better physiologic state to handle stress. Is there a type of exercise that releases more of those more than other, or is it just simply, as you said earlier, just moving? That's a great question. So, and there's, and there's kind of, it, it's the most annoying answer to anything, but it's, it depends, which I, <laughs> which I realize can, can be frustrating, but there's a, there's a couple really good answers to that. So, well, let me, let me go to the next slide because the next slide here talks about breathing. And, and coincidentally, Brian, you are in this picture that, I, that is up on our screen right now. I recognize. <laughs> All types of exercise can be positive. It really depends on the size of the stress bucket 
and this type of stress that is already existing. The more existing stress the person has when introducing exercise to the system, the more we probably want to work on the calming side of exercise, breathing mechanics, slower bouts of cardio, things that aren't going to introduce a big cortisol spike, you know, high intervals, high heart rate training that are great for us. But if we're already running high because of emotional or injury or other stress, and we continue to introduce high stimulating activity to that system, it can become a negative coping mechanism in the moment. It can actually make the situation worse. People swear it makes them feel better in the moment, and it does, just like negative eating does. And I won't say it has as much of a negative rebound effect, but it can because if cortisol is already high and you keep cortisol high with high exercise, then it, it can perpetuate an already bad system. So when I analyze this with a new member or a new client, I really try to get a feel for what type of person is in front of me. Is this someone that is always, always going hard all the time? Life hard, I mean, they're working hard. They don't sleep. They're, they're going a mile a minute all the time. I'm probably going to urge them towards our movement improvement classes. A more yoga boat, you know, for my listeners that aren't familiar with our programs, a more yoga-based type of program, something that's going to keep my heart rate a little lower, not introduce as big of a cortisol spike. I'm going to work on breathing mechanics. Breathing, breathing has this physical effect on the nerves specifically. So when I take a big deep breath in through my nose and out through my mouth, the air rushing through and the way the air rushes through actually touches specific nerves that correlate with our parasympathetic nervous system, our calming system. So taking nice, big, deep, slow breaths can actually tell that system, I need you to work. I need you to calm me down. And when those nerves start working, they'll start telling the other nerves that are telling us to wake up and be overstimulated. It'll say only one of us can work at the same time. I'm being told to work. I need you to calm down a little bit. So while breathing sometimes gets kind of this this feeling of it, it's kind of like this kind of, kind of fit, not fake, but, but sometimes it's not taken seriously. I guess let's put it that way. It is very much so a very real physical response by the body when we work on the right breathing. There's also a postural response that, that breathing is related to. So if we have an injury, if we have a compensation to injury, if we have just lived in a way where I sit all the time or I drive in a certain way or I carry a backpack over one shoulder all the time, if I've developed asymmetrical postural musculoskeletal issues, that have actually taken me to a point where my diaphragm is very tight. I actually don't take breath in the right way. I become a chest breather. So me right now, I'm sitting while recording this. It is very hard for me to breathe into my lower diaphragm. It's hard for me to fill my entire diaphragm with air in this position. So if I spend all day in this position, if I sleep sideline, which is a seated position, and then I wake up and I get in my car and I commute to work, and then I sit at my desk all day, and then I get back in my car and come back home, and then I sit for dinner, and then I go to the couch and sit and watch some TV, and then I get back in my side-lying, seated sleep position. We literally have spent almost every minute of the day in a position that we cannot breathe into. This starts to force us to breathe into other avenues. We start to breathe into our neck, into our shoulders. And when we start breathing into those areas, those areas become tense because they have to be, because something has to happen to allow that breath in. So now we talk talking about neck tightness and upper back tightness, you know, these very, these very common physical discomforts that people feel. So starting with things like breathing exercises for someone that has already come into me very high stress, the calming things can have this really good effect where it helps me to reset my system, stimulate nerves that aren't being stimulated that need to be resetting my, my physical postural 
asymmetries and getting me in a state where my body just works better. And when it does that, our pH balance, our natural hormone balance starts to regulate because those are also correlated with these nerves. So the first long-winded answer to your, to your question, Brian, is if someone's already stressed, the better thing for them is going to be initially a calming system that looks on making sure that movement efficiency is good, postural things are good, and we're releasing kind of these, these slower, happy hormones. Now, if someone does not have stress issues, working at these higher heart rates more often is great because I need to get to these high heart rates in order to really practice my low recovery. And that's where people can start utilizing things to get better in terms of endurance and physical capacity. Is once the stress system is low, we do really well at working high. So even for let's say let's say an athlete comes in that's really highly stressed but is but is struggling with their performance, sometimes we have to look at these physical stressors and say, is there a reason that the body is not working well enough to where you can't keep your endurance up in the fourth quarter? To where you can't get to the height rate, you can't get to your full speed because your body literally isn't in a state to get oxygen in well enough. So there is a, there's a postural component to that. Now, strength training, strength training is that middle ground. You know, we talk about heart rate responses and, and hormonal responses. Strength training to a certain extent is, going, is always going to be part of the answer. Because strength training can go either way, right? It's, it's a very, it's very versatile tool. But if I read this quote here by the uh, Anxiety and Depression Association of America, Exercise and other physical activity produce endorphins, chemicals in the brain that act as natural pain killers, and also improve the ability to sleep, which in turn reduces stress. So strength training specifically, activity in general, but strength training more than any other type, is going to have this effect where we get really positive hormones released that actually do numb the system. Have you ever felt like you walked into the gym and you're like, man, my back is really tight, my shoulder's kind of off, and man, I I warmed up and all of a sudden that's gone. Did the warm-up do it? Possibly, yeah. And obviously, we like to give a lot of credit to the right warm-ups getting us in a better postural stance. But part of that is also chemical. Not too different from taking Advil for painkiller. Different nerves start getting stimulated. So we have exercise, just moving in general, can constantly keep the body feeling better. And if the body's moving really well, it's expending energy every day, we are going to sleep better, which means we are going to get all this buffering out system that we are talking about. If you fall into a deep sleep, The emotional stress is not there while you are in a deep sleep, which means the body has a full chance to say, I'm going to get all this stuff out, and I'm going to have the ability now to wake up tomorrow morning with a clean slate. But if we're not sleeping and we're not moving, we are really taking ourselves out of the ability to get into these these processes. I had a podcast guest on. It was actually my very first guest, a guy named Kyle Dobbs. And he said, and it's already stuck with me, he said, you've never met a farmer that had problems sleeping. And and what he's alluding to is, the physical nature of that job, someone that is moving so much every day, they're not in a gym, they're not bench pressing, they're not rowing. So it's, you know, exercise, exercise was developed as a way to counteract being sedentary. So as technology improved and we start moving less, we had to develop ways to move more. So unless you have a very specific goal, aesthetic or performance, moving more and lifting heavy things like a farmer is going to get us where we want to be from a health standpoint. It's going to build muscle, it's going to increase metabolism, it's going to help us sleep better, it's going to reduce stress, physical stress. And then we look into the cardiovascular side of things. So again, Brian, you just recently did a metabolic test with us. So one of the things we look at during metabolic tests is exactly what what people are already good at and what areas they need to improve. So again, this all relates back to stress again because this, this has to do with how the body physically reacts to exercise. 
because how it reacts to exercise and how it reacts to certain stress can correlate to how it reacts to other stressors. So if I see in a metabolic test that someone really doesn't utilize fat, besides the fact that I want to see what they do for activity, I want to talk to them about stress. Maybe the reason that they are not losing weight is because there's their emotional or uncontrollable stress or their lifestyle habits that are causing physical stress are so off that we are constantly at a state where cortisol is high, which means lipid efficiency cannot be high. We cannot burn fat well. So besides the fact that I want to give exercise advice from these metabolic tests, I can also correlate this directly with lifestyle and say, okay, well, here's some other reasons that maybe you're not getting the effects you want. And now I can look at the entire spectrum. I can say, yeah, you're already exercising. We can change the type of exercise you do, but I also need to look at, at sleep, nutrition, and general movement because those are going to have really, really big effects. So the two types of training we're going to talk about mostly when it comes to anti-stress are going to be your low to medium intensity cardio. So to getting on a treadmill and walking at a small incline, getting the heart rates, these medium to low levels where the body feels, feels really efficient in utilizing fat or proper HIIT training. I say proper because HIIT training has become kind of a, a coined term. It's not always utilized well. In order for something to be a proper HIIT protocol, high intensity interval training, we have to see an interval which means we have to see a high heart rate, but we also have to see a low heart rate. If the high heart rate just stays the entire time. So if I go to a, a group fitness, um, you know, one of the, a popular group fitness class, whatever's in your area, and I do 30 seconds of an exercise, and then the instructor says, okay, you have 10 second break, and we're gonna get back in. Well, maybe 10 seconds doesn't get my heart rate back down. And by the time the exercise has started again, I'm still high. That recovery didn't, didn't fit me. So now what I've done for an entire class is high intensity sustained training. I've sustained higher heart rates for long bouts of time. Now, if that's my goal, that's okay. If I'm a professional athlete that has to practice keeping heart rate up for high bouts of time, that's okay. But for the general population, it's probably not going to correlate with the goal you came in for. If your goal was weight loss, feeling healthier, de-stressing, having more energy, then constantly doing sustained high-level training may long-term not have the exact effects you want it to have. I'm not saying you won't burn calories. I'm not saying the heart won't get stronger. I am saying that at some point, the body may crash from it before you can really get a, a chance to become numb to it and get the positive effects you might get to it, if you could, even if you could stick with it long-term. So properly utilizing interval training and low-intensity cardio training are going to have the best effects at decreasing physical and emotional stress. It's getting the, the third point here. It's, it's getting the positive sides of stress without the negative. There really is no middle ground. So the, the way the body works, it is constantly reacting. It's constantly either buffering out negative things or unfortunately going the negative direction. So when it comes to sleep and nutrition, we are either getting better, we're utilizing fat, we're increasing energy, or we're getting worse. The body is, it's a seesaw. And it's very, the, the, the body very, very rarely just sticks in the middle. So when it comes to sleep, we have to really talk about a few things. One, and which is not on this slide, but our energy. Sleep is so, so crucial to this recovery process, to any recovery process. If I want to gain muscle and I don't recover well, I'm not going to be in a state for the body to, to increase that muscle fiber density and to put me in a position to work out again the next day. I'm not going to buffer out these sleep hormones or these stress hormones. I'm not going to give myself that reset button. And if I'm not active enough during the day, that alone will cause me to not be a good sleeper. We have to put ourselves in a position where we need the sleep. And unfortunately, a high stress situation will counteract that need. 
So one, we have to be active throughout the day to give ourselves a chance to need a deep REM sleep. We need to numb ourselves to some of the stress so we are in a better position to sleep. And then from there, we have to make sure we get enough. I wanna make sure I'm getting between 7.5 and nine hours of sleep. The research says that over 95% of people need somewhere in this window. So the chance that you are one of these people, the, the 2.5% chance that you are one of these people that actually can get away with four, five, six hours of sleep, maybe you are, but the odds say that it is very unlikely. It is equally as likely as you needing 10 or 11 hours a day. So for those, and, and I was one of them for a lot of years, and unfortunately, even, even my position now, just as a gym business owner and being up early, I still, I still don't get the greatest sleep. I used to pride myself on saying, well, I'm okay without it. More and more, I'm realizing I never was. You know, I'm, I'm starting to get effects and it's starting to, to take a toll on my system. So I've, I've really, this past year, had to make a really conscious effort into getting the longevity and the length of sleep whenever I can. Sleep environment's important. One, are we in total darkness? Are we taking away the stimulants that will aid our body in avoiding falling into deep REM sleep. Just because we go unconscious doesn't mean that we are going into a deep REM sleep, a recovery sleep. Um, alcohol is a good example of this. You know, having, having a few drinks might knock you out, might you make you feel like you fall asleep real easily. Then you wake up feeling groggy. You're not sure why. I just slept for eight hours. I'm not sure why I feel bad. Seven and a half of those hours might have been really bad light sleep. Maybe you had a half an hour in there where you actually had the deep recovery sleep you needed. And a fun fact on sleep too, the majority of your REM sleep happens the last quarter of your sleep pattern. So if I sleep for eight hours, over 60% of my REM sleep happens in those last two hours. So if you wake up two hours earlier, one or two hours earlier than you normally do, you're not just missing out on one or two hours of REM sleep, you might be missing out on the vast majority of your REM sleep. Because the way your body, the cycle of your sleep system, it usually takes you a few cycles before you really get into that deep REM. So if you never get in in the first place, again, those four to six hours are probably never, ever really good REM sleep. And then setting yourself up for sleep in terms of screens and things like that. So putting your, again, putting your body in a state where it's ready to sleep. The more screens we watch, TV, iPad, phone, the more we do within a half an hour of sleep, the less chance that we ever fall into a deep REM sleep which means we do not get these natural, we don't poke the sleep hole in the bucket. We, we don't get that coping mechanism. Do you have a question, Brian? Oh, I was just going to say another element for me was, it came from your podcast actually, was caffeine. Realizing that a quarter life of caffeine, you know, is 12 hours. And I was definitely grabbing a cup of coffee at, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And so I ended up, I ended up adjusting that and I've had much better sleep. It's not 100%, but uh, it's a lot better. I love that you bring that up because it, that actually is not on the slide here and I might have missed it. You're absolutely right. And that's another one. People say, well, I've gotten so used to caffeine where it doesn't affect me anymore. Well, that's, that's kind of counterintuitive in two directions. One, if you, if you were really numb to caffeine, then, then why are you still taking it? It's probably not doing anything for you anymore. And two, you, you probably just, again, don't realize, kind of like alcohol, you don't realize that just because you fell asleep does not mean you're getting REM sleep, does not mean that that caffeine didn't negatively affect your sleep. So yeah, so the, the general rule of thumb is that shelf life Noon, between noon and two for most people is a really good marker of saying we should have our last caffeine and the proper amount of caffeine only within a couple hours of waking up and that time period. That's another, so I asked from a podcast guest, I just learned this. Ideally, we do not drink coffee within an hour of waking up. 
your natural stress system, what wakes us up, the release of cortisol in our system is what is supposed to wake us up. So if every day we wake up and the first thing we do is take in caffeine, we are actually interrupting that positive stress system that is supposed to be working our body. So like cortisol is up, we didn't let it work, we put caffeine in right away, and it's gonna be really hard for a body to recover that from that the rest of the day. Before I turn slides, I've got a, I just put a picture up of my, my favorite personal sleep book. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams. It's an awesome book. If anyone's looking to go deeper into the sleep element, I highly recommend this book. And then we have nutrition. Again, if we are either eating in a way that is giving us the nutrients, the tools, the, the fuel that we need to work, or we aren't. There really is no middle ground. Now, that is not to say that we have to eat perfectly all the time. Absolutely not. Just like we have a natural system for buffering out stress, we have a natural system for buffering out foods that are just not as ideal. You know, I won't say bad. You know, there's, you know, the dietitians of the world would say that there is no bad food. I disagree a little bit. I think there are foods that are negative for us and that there are foods that, that take us down a bad path. However, let's say not ideal for today. We do have a system for buffering out these not ideal foods, but just like stress, if it's a little bit, no big deal. The body can get rid of that. And if you're also exercising, if you're also introducing other good activities that are helping to remove these negative elements, then again, it does not harm the system as much. It does not mean that you can out-train a bad diet. Exercise does not mean that you get to eat poorly more often. And it might be the biggest pet peeve I have when it comes to nutrition. That is not how the body works and is actually the complete opposite. The more negatively you eat, not because the food is bad, because if you are eating foods that are negative, that means you are probably not eating foods that would be giving you the nutrients you need. So if you're missing vital minerals, vitamins, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, if you're missing these tools that your body needs, it will not function properly. It'll find a way to function, but only for so long. And when it doesn't, that's when disease states start kicking in because the body does not know how to, do it, how, to, how to live anymore the right way. So that's where I would call some foods bad. It's more of an indirect relationship because it stops you from eating the good. So now we've, we've eaten foods that have caused us an actual physical stress. So inflammation in our system, bloating of the stomach, density in our, in our hearts. So you ever feel that feeling? Just you feel like you gained 10 pounds after a meal. It's because the body treated it like a broken ankle. If you roll your ankle and it swells up, that is a natural defense mechanism by the body. The body develops a natural brace to protect your now broken ankle, to keep it as safe as possible until it has a chance to heal itself. The body does the same thing with, with food. When we eat in a negative way, and we, especially when we do it in a way that is faster than the system can buffer it out, the body just says, screw it, I'm going to brace the whole thing. I'm going to brace the entire system. And that's why we feel like we are swollen from head to toe. It's the body trying to protect us. It literally increases its temperature. It tries to kill off the negative foods as if it were a virus because that's all it knows. That's the defense mechanism that we have. And if we are in that state, then we are definitely, now besides the fact that we're taking in and storing calories we don't want, we are also not in a state to utilize calories. We're not in a state to be high energy, which means we are probably not in a state to go exercise and move more. So you can see where this domino effect really starts to come in. To put it all together, so I, when I speak for the, the Northwestern Health System, I, when I, I have a, a talk I do on stress and the four pillars of health. So again, exercise, sleep, stress, nutrition. I always finish the talk. I have a blown up balloon ready behind the podium or wherever it is. And I bring the balloon up and I re-identify these four pillars. And I call someone up from 
from the audience. And I said, why don't you come up? Why don't you do me a favor? You're going to be exercise. You can't exercise for whatever reason, which means one of your pillars is down. I want you to squeeze the balloon a little bit. So I put the balloon in that person's one hand. I have them squeeze the balloon and, and maintain that squeeze. So that squeeze became a little bit of stress on that balloon. No big deal. The balloon can still survive. But now, because we're not exercising, we're not sleeping as well. So I call someone else up from the audience. I have them, again, squeeze the balloon. So now we have two stressors on our system. Two of our pillars are not at work. Well, now we're not exercising and we're not sleeping, which means we are probably being led into some negative decision-making. So now let's say we start eating poorly. Call a third person up from the audience. I want you to squeeze the balloon also. So now the balloon is getting pretty stressed. It hasn't popped yet, but it is, it is, it is pretty full at this point. Three of our pillars are down. When I go to call the fourth person up from the audience, everyone's hands go down because no one wants to be the one to put that final stress in the balloon that is going to inevitably pop it. The moral of, of the visual here is that the body is really good at handling stress in certain amounts, but when we have stress come in, we have to over-focus on the other three pillars. So again, if we identify the different types of stress one more time, if we have an unavoidable stress, so stress is one of the pillars here. Again, death in the family, loss of a job. If I have one of those stressors come in, I can't avoid it. One of my pillars goes down, no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal in terms of the life event, but in terms of the body physically, the body can handle that. Okay, even, even a small bucket can probably to a certain extent handle that. As long as the other three don't follow suit. As long as I say, okay, well, if, I can't, if I'm gonna be stressed and I have no control over that stress, I have to dial into my exercise. I have to keep my sleep going. I have to eat clean. If I have an injury where I can't exercise, I cannot say, well, then everything else can wait and I'll start eating poorly because that's gonna lead me to weight gain, which is gonna stress me out. It's gonna put my body in a state of inflammatory state. I'm not gonna sleep as well. Now my other pillars, again, start to fall. You get it. One of these pillars goes down, not the biggest deal. But when those pillars go down, we cannot have an all or nothing attitude. We have to overfocus and we have to focus on our other three pillars. So to wrap it up, I want you to ask yourselves the following questions. How big is your bucket? So based on what we learned today, would you say that genetically you have a really big bucket or a really small bucket? Are you really quick to stress or do you feel like you are pretty cool, calm, collect, and it takes you a lot to get to a stress point? How fast are you filling up your bucket? Whether you believe you have a bucket that's huge or small, am I filling it up at a rate that I cannot recover from it? How many holes do you need? So if I have uncontrollable stress, how many positive coping mechanisms do I need to help me counteract that stress? And then how many do you currently have? If I need a lot, if I need professional mental health, if I really, if I need active, if I need eating clean, which of course all of us do, but if I really need these things from a stress to manage stress standpoint, but I only have one of them, how well am I going to manage that system? So I guess, how well are you helping yourself to feel less stressed? How active are you being besides maybe seeking out faster mechanisms? And then what negative coping mechanisms are you currently using? that probably need to stop before any positive ones are gonna have room in your life to come in and have a positive effect. Are you taking, and a medication would be past my scope, but you know, say a, a mental health professional says you're taking a medication you don't need. Do people turn to drugs? Do people turn to negative eating? Whatever it is, can you identify the negative coping mechanisms that are under your control that you could 
go through some behavior change, some habit change methods with and remove them. So you give yourself a chance to remove one of the stressors too. Because remember, these negative coping mechanisms, it's not just that they aren't helping you, it's they are actually increasing the speed that, the, that your stress fills that bucket. It's actually having the opposite effect long-term than we think it does. So can we stop the bleeding? Can we stop the pour? Can we add more holes to your system? And can we slow the pour in general? Because if we can do that, we put ourselves in a much better stressful situation. We let stress be the positive defense mechanism that it is supposed to be. Are there any questions? No. I've asked too many of them. No, but I, you, I, honestly, you answered quite a few. I think that the last bit about the four pillars is really telling. I'm just kind of rolling that around in my head a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. It's a, it, it can be a powerful image for people that really haven't just connected those pieces yet. It's not that they're even unknown. Like when you think of it, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. But it's like, but, but I didn't get it enough that I actually put it into practice. I didn't get enough. And it's hard, right? Because when things happen that are out of our control, it's very hard for us to say, okay, I need to sit down and, and kind of take myself out of my body for a second and, and say, okay, while this is happening, how am I handling it? That can be the biggest strength that people add to themselves is the ability to say, I'm going to hit a timeout button. I'm going to allow myself a chance to think. Because right now, my stress is through the roof. I, my anxiety is high. Something really bad just happened. I just went through an injury. Hold on a second. Can I step back and just say, okay, here's what the situation is. How do I handle it best? What is my plan? And if you can gain that strength, if that can become a habit, the rest becomes a lot easier. I right, group. Well, I hope this was helpful for those watching live or at home. Kind of think about the material. If you have any questions, again, reach out to me, info or Mike at Mar Health and Performance. My Instagram handle, lifestyle underscore medicine. You can find me on the Facebook page and you can find us uh, through the Mar Health and Performance Instagram or Facebook page as well. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to ask. For those that are on live, I'm going to stop the recording. If you want to stick around and ask more questions, you're more than welcome. But for everyone else, enjoy and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.